people of Earth. Give hope. Hi, I'm Willa. And I'm Marla Joe. And we are the, the Gig Hose. Oh my God, we've both been working so much this week. Boy, I'm tired. I am exhausted. <laughs> and I got nailed by some cops. A weird uh, trap. You know, we're lucky we make it home every night. <laughs> I know. Uh, it was about not driving in the right lane when the cops pulled over on the shoulder and... Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I got a ticket in a bus lane once. and <laughs> Good I'm, one. I'm not kidding. I mean, they didn't even, like, notate that it was a bus lane. It was so worn off by the oh, bus. Oh, nice. <laughs> Good. You just have yeah. to know. Yes. Officer Singleton said to me, uh, Trooper Singleton said to me, well, have you ever driven on a highway? You know? <laughs> and in my brain, I'm going, yeah, MF, you bet I've driven on a highway. <laughs> many, many. What's it to you? I transport electronic equipment on Across many the tri-state area. Across the tri-state area. Stadium, baby. <laughs> <sighs> it's so it's so annoying when you something happens to you on the way to the gig, right? So yeah, it taints the whole gig. <laughs> no, yes, I, I know. No, it does. It does. Something happened to me the other day. I'm trying to think of what. A, oh, I know what it was. I was about to go into rehearsal, and it was like a doctor called me and said, "You have to go to like this doctor and make sure you don't have cancer." Oh crap! Like half uh, hour before, you know. Yeah, great. Okay, they just have to so read you the riot act so they can cover themselves. I yeah. Mean, I hope I don't have cancer. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to show up and smile and act like everything's okay. Yeah, I don't have cancer. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> well, in my case, it was 150 miles away, and he's. He's telling me how I can plead online. He goes, he brings me back the ticket. He goes, I made it easy for you so you don't have to come in person. You know? Oh, thanks. And thank you, Officer Singleton. And turns out they don't have it anymore in person in this little town in upstate New York, probably because of the pandemic. We probably have the experience of getting tickets all over because Bedminster, totally. that's like a hot spot. Oh, Right? Yeah. On uh, 60, 684? Yeah. My yeah. mother used to love the fact that I knew all these, like, the Gothels, the Outer Bridge Crossings, <laughs> like, the town of Cranberry in New Cranberry, Jersey. that's a good one. Well, it was East Brunswick Jewish Center. Oh, I'm yeah. sure you've been there. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I got pulled over once, another, and guys, this always happens at, like, two in the, well, actually, no, this happened at three in the afternoon, but I was going through some tiny town in Pennsylvania on my way home from New Hope, Pennsylvania, in the middle of the night. And it was the school. It was 25 miles an hour where the school was. Like, it was 45. So you had to go really slow. Yeah, but it was 45 on either side of the school. So you had right. to slow down 20 miles an hour like that. And, of course, I didn't. And then I, the guy pulled me over, and there was a line of six cars in front of me at 2 o'clock in the morning. Because you're just, you know, knocking us down one by one by one, knowing... Two in the morning. No, Nobody's crossing the street that's six years old at <laughs> two in the morning. Doesn't matter. Anyway, one of the many hazards of being a freelance musician is running into these weird traffic situations. Well, it's not even that. It's just that we're always, and this is what I try to explain to somebody, you're always going somewhere new. So you're always... Unfamiliar with the terrain. You're unfamiliar with the terrain, and your job is always beginning and ending that night. That's why I say you get a job, and then the minute the job's over, you've just lost your job. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good way to, I mean, yeah. 
it's a sad way to look at it, but it's, yeah. But it's true. And yeah. you're always wondering, am I ever going to work again? I know. You know, it's so true. Like, both of us worked so much this week, right? So we're, much. We're exhausted. But but I know in a week when I haven't had a gig, I'll start going, when am I going to get a gig? Well, the minute you don't worry about it is when the gigs don't come in. And then, <laughs> oh, you know, you have to. I thought to... you were going to say the other thing. The minute you don't worry about it is when you get all the gigs. You know, if you stop worrying, then, then no, you start to, uh-oh. <laughs> like, there's right away, there's three venues that haven't called me in, like, three weeks. Uh-uh. And one of them, the last thing they said, well, we love you. We have to get you back here uh-huh. all the time. Yeah. And the other one, some woman complained because I used Spotify. Right. I, I think I mentioned you this did, on another yeah, podcast. Yeah. I haven't heard from them. Maybe they just uh, have nothing for me. Right. You never know. You never know. Do they not like me anymore? Know, or, or is it's it just a, a lull? <laughs> audience, you can get so neurotic wondering these things. And like, we started out neurotic. <laughs> <laughs> and we haven't gotten any better. It only gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> it's so sad, but true. <laughs> Uh, okay. Well, well, you know, it's your whole ego is involved. You're always, even an actor, you know, you're always auditioning. You're always selling yourself. Right, and right. and you have to deal with rejection. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I was listening to Tina Fey on another podcast, and she said, the truth is you have to kill every time, you know. Or I may, maybe Steve Martin said that to her. Yeah. I was thinking about that on my last gig when I yeah. said, oh, I don't want to, I want to sing this note in full set. No, yeah. I have to belt yeah. it out. I thought yeah. about what you said. Yeah, you have to kill every time. And it makes it better when you do try because then you're more comfortable. Then you know you can do it. Yeah, then you know you can do it instead yeah. of, oh, I'm too lazy yeah. to take a deep breath. And, you know, <laughs> there's such a thing with the adrenaline of a gig. Like I have this audience. I have this one-person show I do about the songwriters who worked in the Brill you Building. You have to see it. It's great. <laughs> I've seen so it twice. Ah, uh, COVID locked it down for three years and now I can do it again. But the adrenaline of doing that kind of personal concert it's different than doing a wedding. Like, you're really being watched and observed. But the adrenaline of having the crowd with you, it really moved me to, as much as I practiced it and sang as intensely as I could when I was practicing, when you get in front of the audience, it's a whole other level of adrenaline, and then you're singing differently because you've got that audience in front and of it, you. And it's so true because most of our careers, we're singing while people are chewing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a whole different experience. You can't pick your nose, you know, they'll still can't. Not that you should, anyway. Yeah. I'm just making yeah. a joke, obviously. I don't... Of course. Never pick sure, my nose. Marla, sure, Marla, sure, Marla. Yeah, no, but, you know, it's one thing, I'll say this. I guess from not having gotten to do it in three years, I was so excited about just getting to do it that in all the times I've done it, I just was so happy to get to do it with people that were listening. And they loved it, right? They loved it. They were singing along right do, away. Do the thing you said that they loved the most. Oh, I did Marlena Dietrich. <laughs> you yes. see, it's acting and singing. <laughs> yeah, they love that. That's it great. was seventh heaven. Um, <laughs> she was talking about Bert Bacharach. Yeah, yeah. Bert Bacharach was Marlena Dietrich's MD when she was already in her late fifties. And he MD was means musical, musical director, director. For those who don't know, right? I'm assuming they were lovers because she was totally in love with him, and he was her MD for five years. So is she the one who sang "I Can't Help It"? Yeah. Is that her? Yeah, and <laughs> and this one. See what the boys in the back room will have, <laughs> and tell them I'm having the same. And then sushi. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, one thing. Speaking of sushi, yeah. when we started, all there was was prime rib and stuffed derma, oh, which stuffed is the intestines derma. of a cow. Kishka, Kishka, and then then they named our business Kishka. Kishka. And, and in fact, I'm doing a gig on Sunday, and the guy said to me, "It's just another Kishka gig." <laughs> 
<laughs> but anyway, you know, one thing that's missing that I will say that we always used to do what? was we called it the international set. So depending on the ethnicity of the bride and groom, we would start with that one, right? Like what? Well, okay. Example. So if it was Jewish. Tarantella, Hora. Right. So if it's Jewish, we would start with some Horas, Hava Nagila maybe. And then we'd go into a couple of Italian songs like the Tarantella and Hey Campari. Okay, and if they were Irish, you start with the, the Irish, Irish jig. jig. Right. And right. what if they're Albanian? Uh, I never <laughs> ran into that. But there was something other. There was some one other ethnicity. I that can't you had remember. something. We for. had something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, da 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 Oh, yeah, yeah, the Mizulu. Mizulu. Yeah, right, that's, that's right, for the Persian, Persian Persian Jews, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, so that, and we did that every gig. And now when I DJ and there's kids there, I do let it whip, watch me nay-nay, watch me whip, watch me nay-nay. <laughs> <laughs> music has really come a long way. <laughs> oh, the other one... Gangnam Style. Oh, Gangnam Style. Yeah, that was a huge... That's another thing, audience. You know, every now and then a song comes along that everyone wants to hear a novelty song. Like the Macarena, like the Electric Slide. The Macarena was like a good recording. It was well done. And the Electric Slide was too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely the dance song is a thing, right? We got the Cupid Shuffle, that's a thing. Cha-Cha Slide. Yeah. So if you want to make a lot of money in the music business, come up with a dance like that. And they even had that in the 60s. You remember, do the Freddy. That was a thing. I think my brother tried to come up with something. It was like called Shake It or something. And he used his dog in the video. And he had the dog dancing. You know, he was moving right. his paws. Right. Didn't take off, though. You just never know. You just never know what's going to take so, off. Anyway. Okay. So Marla and I thought that we would share our experience of how we met. Which unsurprisingly, was on a gig. <laughs> it's on a gig. No, no, it was on a di- one audition. Well, it was on an audition for yeah, a gig. for a gig. It was gig-related. Oh, definitely. Right. And All how right. did you find out about it? Well, I'll tell you, because it's a whole... Because mine was just simple. I saw an ad in the paper. It was an ad in putting together a band, blah, blah, blah. Right. And what about it made you think that you could succeed in the audition? I was 19. I didn't know anything. And... <laughs> <laughs> And, um, but, I mean, did it say girl singer wanted? Or? It might have said an idea for three girls. I don't remember if it did. I don't mm-hmm. re- specifically remember, but for some reason I answered it, and you ended up being there or at the right. same time, I yeah. think, right? Yeah, well, yeah, that's how we met. And then I brought an, another complete band in. That's how – did you know that? No, so all those guys that were in the band were another band that you knew? Yeah, they were – what were they called? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Before we go forward – Marla and I were in this club band called Silver Fox, and it was the two of us backing up this third woman who was the lead singer. But we, we had lead vocals, too. Every now and then, they'd, they'd throw us a bone. One or two, yeah, you know, right. per set. Okay, continue. So you were in this other band, or you just I wasn't them? in the band, but they were like people I knew doing like the Queen's College Rat Skeller, and right. I said, once we met... And we met with the guy that was putting this together. I said, well, I have this band that so has you mean a girl. at our audition? They were already was... together, and I suggested that. But I mean, they, were they there at our no. audition? They no, weren't. no, they had nothing to do with it. So do you remember what we did at the audition? Did we just sing a cappella, or what did we do? I have no memory of the actual audition, but I know that I answered the ad, and I went and met with him, and he, had, and he was a smelly old guy, you know. Oh, brother, he was brutal. Yeah. And... What shall we call him? 
well, he's Sal. He's, Let's call him Sal. I'm sure he's long gone at this Probably. point. Probably, you know. Yeah, but that's um, true. you know, he was trying to do his thing. And he was I mean, a, such a lech. <laughs> well, you know, I think it goes with like <laughs> the territory at the time. Right. I mean, I'm sure they're like reputable agents now. Mm-hmm. But once you were involved, we had me and you. Right. And then once he laid eyes on her, she was very beautiful. She had very long hair. Yes. She did like acrobatic moves on stage. Yeah, she was very athletic. And she was a great singer. She and was. the band was all great musicians. They're yeah. people that I knew, and it was just a lot easier than like yeah. starting from scratch. You know? It was, yeah. And remember and Dennis Stuka? He was the one who gave me the photos and like the, oh, the bio many right, years later. Right. And that's when I had those pictures and I showed right. them to you. And we will put them the on our website eventually. The outfits were insane. The outfits were silver glitter halters and red glitter hip hugger bell bottoms. So we had all our midriffs were bare. In that picture, I'm wearing these platform shoes. I don't know what you were wearing. Probably something similar. And we went to James Kriegman for the photos. Oh, God, those photos, so horrible. (laughs) I don't remember. I don't think I have any of those photos. I have a photo from there, but it's just like... They put a ton of makeup on me, and but I would maybe love that to was, see that. I will find it for you. Yeah. Also, will be on my website, our <laughs> website. Yes, um, the Giggles website. Okay, but here, here is my epic story about how I ended up at the audition. Okay, let's hear it. Story. Okay, so I had just graduated from college, so I was twenty-one, older than you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big deal. And I went to University of Buffalo, and this friend of mine. We drove down because she wanted to go to New York. We got to my brother's house at midnight. Now, my brother... who In Bayside? Uh, in Bayside. My brother, audience, you probably understand by now, we played a lot together in our life. Very talented guitarist, vocalist. Yeah, he, we're going to have him on. He's great. And we play together a lot, and we still play together all these years. We've played together professionally and not professionally. But we got there at midnight, and as usual, there was a party in full swing. At midnight. I mean, full swing, right? There was a jam going on in the basement, and people were getting high in one of the bedrooms, and there's just people all over, right? So we walk into this party in full swing, and within an hour, some guy is saying to me, oh, I know of a band that's looking for a backup singer, and the audition is... is Tomorrow. Yeah. Who, I think, who was the guy? You I don't know. Some I guy. I how he knew. I don't know. Some guy. And he gave me... No, it must have been the day after tomorrow. He gave me a number to call, and the next day I called the number. Okay, come down the following day. And, of course, by that night, the party was in full swing again, <laughs> you know. And my friend even ended up getting with my brother at some point as that night wore on. And he had a roommate that I knew for a long time. And we ended up imbibing various substances, and we fell asleep on the sofa. His bedroom was up in the attic of the house. So I wake up, and now this is the morning of the audition. I wake up. And there is, we'll call him uh, Paul. Paul is standing at the doorway leading to the attic in his robe with a a hose, shooting water up the stairs, and smoke is pouring out of the stairs, and the attic had caught on fire. What had happened was a Con Ed wire sheared off the top of the house and set the roof of the house on fire. So wasn't even your fault. No, it had nothing fault. to do, no, not yeah. even with all the crazy stuff like that a, went on. a joint was left burning. Nothing, yeah. nothing. We just passed out. Because I was going to sleep in his bedroom with him, not even, just fraternally, you sure, know. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, it's up to you. <laughs> well, he was very good looking. I would happily have had, had sex with him, but uh, oh, well. we knew each other. I know. <laughs> we knew each other too long. Um, yeah, so he's, smoke is pouring down. And also, one of the bedrooms was full of six puppies 
and a lot of puppy mm. shit because they're Ugh. one of Larry's dogs that had puppies, and they were all in this little room. Shitting away. Yeah, shitting away. <laughs> so, and I remember because the landlord came by to look at the damage at some point, and he goes, oh, you left me quite a gift there in, you know, the little bedroom. Mm, what's that smell? But anyway... So that happened, and the fire trucks and all this, and I, I, I literally, I didn't have time to take a shower, and it was impossible to take a shower because the house was a shambles. So you smelled like smoke? Smelled like smoke, and I had ashes in my hair, literally, when I showed up at the audition. <laughs> One of the gigs we did was at a bar called Smoke Eaters. Remember? I forgot. Remember that name? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was my story. I mean, I had been in some... <laughs> I've been in some weird-ass bands it's in college. Funny. It's pretty funny. Your parents send you to college. You come home. Mm-hmm. You you catch on fire. Yeah. <laughs> you're in a wild, naked party. Yeah, People totally. hooking up. I'm so glad I sent my daughter away. And, you know, it's right around the corner from where my parents live, too. But this is Larry. You know, whatever house my brother had. Um, it was always a party, party house. house. Yeah, totally. Anyway, so for me, where I was coming from is that Although I was a literature major at the University of Buffalo, eight days after I got there, I heard this wailing guitar soaring through the quad, and I spent a half hour chasing down the sound. And I found the guy, and he was from Oceanside. And I'll, I'll say his real name. His name was Chuck Hammer. Great name. He ended up playing with Lou Reed. So I was in um, weird little bands of one kind or another all through college, sometimes with Chuck, sometimes with other people. But by the time I graduated with my, you know, whatever, summa cum laude, Phi Beta Kappa, but I just wanted to be a rock star. So I was thrilled when I got to my brother's house that a guy at midnight said, oh, there's an audition for a band. I just wanted to be in the band. So what was your situation at that point? I think I saw an ad in a paper, and I was still living at home at 19, desperate to get out. Were you working or going to school? I think I went... Queensboro. I was still in Queensboro, but I was a waitress, mm. maybe. Was I? Cocktail waitress or a waitress waitress? Well, I did that too at the airport. We right. had to wear like little frilly things, <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah. But it was all like covered up, but you had to wear high heels. I mean, that was weird. It was host services mm. at LaGuardia Airport. Wow. I definitely must have been waitressing when I, when I joined the band because. The minute the restaurant people came to see me play, and might have even not even been that band, but so was it before that? I can't I can't remember the chronology of that. I just know the age I was in Silver Fox. I was probably waitressing in, in college, and mm. then once I got eighteen dollars, was like the first gig that we, <laughs> right. you know, it was like eight people splitting up very little money, getting right. home at five in the morning. The once, Silver Fox. Silver Fox. I right. know. I can't believe that that's what we made. Eighteen dollars a pay. That's, that's like... one particular gig. Sometimes mm. maybe we made thirty. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know but making fifty dollars a night when I was waitressing even was just like the average. You know, because yeah. what was my first rent? One hundred forty-five dollars. Right. That's how old we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That rent was that cheap until I started doing club dates. I was always office temping to pay but my you rent. You can type. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a typist. No. I, I was a waitress. When I was in... A shy waitress. Whatever grade it was, eighth grade, whenever it was that I took typing. They used to... I don't, they don't do that anymore, right? They don't give you typing class. Because everyone knows how to type now. typing. They don't give you music in school right. anymore. I mean... Home <laughs> remember, remember the, the girls... Woodworking. Went, yeah. Well, the boys got to do shop and we got to do home ec, which is we learned how to bake a cake and keep a clean house. That. Oh, God. Well, let me just, I just got to tell you one funny little story that reminded me of. When okay. I got married, I have um, my sister's mother-in-law, and I was older, you know, mm-hmm. I was after 50, mm-hmm. 
and I'll never forget. I've been single. I already owned my own home. And it's like, so marvelous. Right after I got married, so marvelous. A 98-year-old woman. <laughs> It's just funny. So, Marla, how do you like doing housework now? (laughs) As if, you know, it's like a magic transformation. Now I'm walking around with a little dust mop. With a little apron. With a little apron. Well, maybe that happened. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but not for that reason. Not for that reason. The room was still dirty. We've all done that. Well, not all of us. Well, not all of us. We have, though. Uh. <laughs> so mala. Uh, that's good. Uh, I'm trying to think of, well, I know what happened with me because my brother's three and a half years older than me and my mother's a piano teacher. So she would be giving him lessons when he was five on the piano. And even when I was two and a half, I would bang on the keys to try and get attention away from him for me. So it's kind of like I always. <laughs> so that's where all your desire to be a musician came from. Get Get one over on Larry. Give me some. (laughs) Give me some. Exactly. (laughs) That's funny. Um, Yeah, but my first paying gig was in college with Chuck Hammer when I was a freshman. I do remember when I was like 20. I was still in college, but I was writing songs every week, and it was when it started to come out of me. This is before I got into the wedding band business. Right, Um, which will crush your soul. (laughs) Yeah. But I was in a workshop in the city, and it was great because you had something, some songwriting work, like a song. Yeah, it was like the real thing, and I would like Mm. work on the songs. And and the funny thing was, the piano that we had was bought from my older sister, who had taken lessons, and she had already maybe like moved out, and Mm -hmm. the piano was still there. But um, and at one point, I just remember this is funny. When I moved out and moved back, we had pianos on three different floors really? in my house. Oh, my God. Because the house was an attached house, and it came with a piano that was in the basement. And uh, Was it like a really crappy piano? Yeah, like one of those old uprights. Right. And that was when I first started plunking mm. out songs. Very I, romantic. Ma, look, I'm playing, yeah. you know, yeah. I love you, baby. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, you know, C, A, M, R, F, G. And, yeah, right. And like then Heart and Soul, of course. You know? Yeah. Wow. But then when I moved back, I had, you remember those little pianos, the Melody Grand, they were called? They were yeah, like they were little like mini. mini pianos. Yeah, yeah. And that I had in my bedroom, so they were like pianos on every floor. It wow. Was, it was kind of unique. You know, you're reminding me that even when I went to college in Buffalo and we were living in this really run-down house, I had a piano. I had a real piano in there. Well, I was writing songs. The yeah. electrics. I mean, the they first were, electric was yeah. the Fender Rhodes, right. which is too heavy to move. No, actually, it was the uh, the Wurlitzer and the Farfisa. Those were the- yeah. There's a few of them in the beginning, yeah, right. and then the first mobile electric was this terrible like organ, and it had one octave of bass. Mm. So I mean, you had to kind of really have the real thing and how to have it tuned. I mean, now there's the sounds that you can get from an iPad. Oh, it's just ridiculous, I know. It is, it's ridiculous. But it's, I'm wondering, like, how did I afford that piano? Like, where did I get that piano from? It was important. I know, I know. You know, I mean, yeah. they weren't cheap. Like, now they almost want to give them away. Yeah, right, because nobody it, wants them. Because you can't afford to even move it. Right. Or, it's like $500 it, to move it. Or keep it tuned. Or right. keep it tuned, right. Yeah. But I, mean, I still have a piano. I had like an old stock. Are you in your apartment? Yeah. Right, right, right. You have that it's small my, one. Well, that, it's, a, it's a Baldwin spinet that my grandmother gave to my mother for an engagement present. And do you have to always keep it in tune? or it's, It keeps in pretty good tune. I don't need to 
I gave up on having a real piano, especially after I bought one and I had to sue the piano company because they lied about how old it was and the soundboard was cracked. (laughs) And I had to go into Manhattan and sue them, and then they took it away six months later. Boy, you were in court all your life. (laughs) I should have. That was my second career choice. I should have been a lawyer. I sued a recording studio once. They ruined my tape. They ripped it. They they rolled it onto a, the wrong size reel, oh, and then no. it like all like wow. fell off. Oh my god! I won't mention who. Good. Um, <laughs> but something I was saying before that I, I just realized: all through college, I was doing gigs, and even when I got out of college, then I was doing office temp work and playing coffee houses and stuff like that. It wasn't until I started doing club dates that I could make a living playing music. That right. was the big game changer, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, I could not be a waitress. Actually, they right. fired me uh-huh. because they knew, oh, she can sing. Right. She's not into being a waitress. Right. Who the fuck yeah. is into being a waitress I know. It's if like, you can do something else? How could any of them think that that's the career path someone wants for their whole life yeah, that's to right. be a waitress? I mean, there are like paths, like city union jobs where you really do well and you work right. at a hotel. I mean, I'm not trying yeah. to knock the industry. No, you're right. Yeah. But it wasn't what I wanted to do. It was the only thing that I could do. My dad used to own a restaurant and it was familiar to me. Oh. You knew that, right? Is that No, I didn't. Is that why you were a waitress? Because... It probably didn't hurt, but I didn't, like, serve, really. My sister was a waitress, and I was the cashier. Right. That's why I'm good with money to this day. Uh (laughs) (laughs) I'm great at rolling pennies and quarters into rolls. Oh, man. Yeah. um, Yeah, and so when I started learning the club date business, my brother started doing the weddings when he was 14, so he was already well ensconced by the time I got out of college. And, and once he convinced me... Yeah, he kind of got you in the door, right? Right. He convinced me that I should do it. You know, so good could, for him, too, having um, you there. Yeah, but I mean, I mean it was really... to break you in and all, right, but right, at least yeah. you had a brother to break you in. That's true. You were definitely had to work harder. Uh, Dominic Esposito. Dominic, what a great name. But, but they actually called him Roger Murray. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> worked with him yeah and the pa was a fender guitar of amp. course yes of course <laughs> and, and you know here you're on the gig and he's abusing you because you don't know anything for the yeah. first six months you yeah just that happened i think all of us abused. Through, all of us went through that but that's you know? how we learned because there yeah. was no i mean know, even no my college brother, even larry couldn't protect me from that because the band leader just if he was right because he wasn't the band leader he was right. a guitar player yeah, in the beginning but, but what i was going to say is for months i would put on a gown and um because I don't think tape recorders were small enough in those days that I could bring a tape recorder with me. I there would were just... no cassettes yet. No, no. It was only That's the reel-to-reels. we are. We're so old. I know. <laughs> so, but we look great. Oh, um, yes. So I would put on the gown. I could see it now. It was a white and black diamond knit gown, like tiles in a kitchen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I would sit there next to George Sahagan, who is this great Armenian piano player. And I would sit next to George, and I'd write down every song he played. And then I would go home. And practice it on my crappy electric piano in every key. See, that's why you're so much more organized and studious now, because you started out like that. And I was just like thrown on the keyboard, <laughs> not writing anything, just like soaking it all in my brain. Well, I, we're just different people because I was always that way in school. I would cry the night before a test because I was so worried that I'd get something other than an A. <laughs> But no, but you went to the gig without being hired for the That's, gig. Yeah, and I didn't even play. I would just sit there and write down every song, and then go home and practice every song. 
and audience. I had to learn it in every key because there would be a different singer on every gig and they would have their own keys for every song. So it's like if you knew it in one key, that wouldn't necessarily help you. I mean, now... In the beginning, of course, now it's easy. Now we understand relationships. So it's one, six, two, five, that's what it is. But in those days, I didn't know that. So I just... And I had... So there's two kinds of keyboard pedals. There's one that looks like a piano pedal, like from a piano, and there's another that's a little box. Right. And I'm telling the audience. And so the little box would just like make a noise every time I stepped on it. And my bedroom was upstairs. And the other two girls in the apartment wanted to kill me every night because it would just be like, they'd be in the kitchen. We'd go thump, thump, thump. She's practicing again. Yeah, God. Yeah. Then they, sometimes they'd just come up and knock on the door, you know. No more. No more. No, no mas. <laughs> Not tonight. Ugh. Um, My very first club date. You remember one, your very first club date? Well, yeah. Well, it's actually like the second or third one because the very first one or two I was working with um, Herb Sherry and a guy <gasps> named Mark got me involved with that. But then on one of those jobs, I met Stank Flane. Yes. Who was playing the drums. Really? You didn't know that, right? Uh, I mean, no. Yeah, he was. And he like. Was he a bad drummer? Oh, the whole thing was a train wreck because they wanted Fantasy by Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, right. In those days, I mean, it's not even easy to do now. No. You know, but in those days, I was the only one that went home and practiced those chords and And all those inversions. And it keeps modulating, right? Right. Yeah. You will find And then he walks over and, like, to the side, you know, hands me a telephone. I'm starting my own. Who, Stank? Stank. Stank (laughs) was starting his own. His own. Oh, so you were in from the beginning with him. I was the second girl because oh the first girl my. was his wife. Oh my god! Yes, if you you can all oh figure out god. who it is, he's yeah. big time. Wow, whatever he is. Wow, um, and you know, lucky you, you were in from the beginning. I was in from the beginning, and I was in one of the partners' bands, and I was a front singer. I was mm-hmm. a keyboard player. I was right. a I was a leader named Ted Phillips. Yes, and but of course I wasn't Ted. Uh, I, I just had to say the guitar player was Ted Phillips. Yeah, so if you ever had a Ted Phillips band, they, <laughs> they lied to you. <laughs> I don't know if I remember the first wedding I actually like played and got paid for, but I will say this. I think I was crying to my brother about how intense it was for me to just try and get all these songs. Because in those days, there were a lot of... Yeah, there were a lot of standards, you know, it was more and till and... Did we mention that in those days, they called what we did or the guitar player did, in parentheses, The The Rock? rock. Did we mention that before? Yeah, sure. (laughs) Yeah, The Rock. Well, that's how Larry started when he was 14. The Rock, and that was 50s. That was like Elvis and Chuck Berry. Well, no, when Larry started, and he was 14, I think, at the first gig he did, The Rock, in his case, was Proud Mary and Chuck Berry, you know, like well, that. Well, yeah, yeah, it's almost the same. Yeah. Chuck Berry, right. Right. Yeah, you know, we had Johnny to do the Good. Rock. Yeah, but mostly it was all these standards that I had heard my mother playing, but I didn't know them. And anyway, so I was crying the blues to Larry about, will I ever get it together? And he said, I promise you that one day you're going to wake up and be an Irish specialist. <laughs> <laughs> no. He said, one day you're going to, which is really strange. He said, one day you're going to wake up and you'll realize that you fell asleep while you were playing and you're still playing, right? And I said, no, that never happened to it you. It totally happened to me. It was like gig, let's say gig four or five at the Crest Hollow Country Club. It was a Sunday afternoon and I was exhausted. I had already played Friday night to on Saturday and I didn't have enough sleep. I woke up in the middle of more. More is more than the greatest love the world has known, right? Real schlocky standard. I woke up in the bridge and my fingers were moving and I went, holy shit. 
that's amazing to me because like people fall asleep when they're driving. Right. I, I would never do that. I would never fall asleep. Playing. I didn't have a choice. <laughs> no, but that it, that it happens into the human brain, like mm-hmm. in the middle of an activity that you can do that. Yes, yeah, I woke up and I was still playing. So wow. he, he was right. It's just amazing. <laughs> well, you know what people find amazing is they'll come over and talk to you and you're still playing. So it's like two different parts of your oh, brain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm having a conversation with this lobe. This lobe is playing more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That reminds me, while we're talking about origins, I wanted to be a piano major in college because even by then, I'll just do an aside. The first song I wrote was called Into Gray. I was a very unhappy teenager. I was 14, and it was like, I know I can't go on this way because my colors are all fading into gray, right? That was the first cheerful song I wrote. My mother cried when she heard it. She goes, what's wrong with you? What have I done wrong? Yeah, what did I do wrong? (laughs) So yeah, I wanted to be a piano major by the time I got to college, and I had this Bach fugue that I literally remember playing like what you were saying while having a conversation. I played the whole thing through. It was another wild party. This is while my brother was still living at home, but whenever my parents would take a vacation, we would have a wild party in in our house. So it was one of those. (laughs) Um, And I was sitting with some guy, and I'm having a whole conversation and playing the Bach fugue perfectly at the same time. Cut to the University of Buffalo. I go to audition for the head of the piano department at UB, and he's this Viennese guy with, like, steel rim glasses, and he (laughs) literally goes... If you want to be a real piano player, you must practice, practice, practice for Did 10 he hours a day. spit on you when well, you Well, kind of, yeah. And it's just like psyching me out, you know. <laughs> then he goes, okay, play. I couldn't get past bar eight. I just froze at bar eight every time. And he goes, well, maybe you should practice more and come back in six months, you know. And I went home and sobbed. And then I became a, uh, a literature major because if that's what it's going to be like, I don't think I can do that. I don't know if I actually wrote my first song in fourth grade, but I want to give creds to a teacher I had who also, I was in the same class with a a very famous theremin player named Rob Schwimmer. I don't know if you've heard his name. I have. And audience, for those of you who don't know, go check out a YouTube recording of a theremin. It's a very magical instrument that you play like putting your hands over the instrument but never touching it and you've heard it on every 50s science fiction movie ever made yeah he's in pepperland i mean he he's also a magnificent piano player too i mean but he was in the same class with me and my teacher saw in the fourth grade that i had a musical ability i don't know how and I don't know if I actually wrote this song, but she actually notated the song. I have it in my studio downstairs in a frame. It's, oh, that's so cool. And guess oh, so what she, it's called? She wrote it out. She wrote you. it out, Words and Music by Marla Ad- in the fourth grade. Wow. What's it called? Here Comes the Band. The boy, she was right. Wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, I could sing it. Here Comes the Band, Walking in the Sand. Listen and you hear the music play. Wow. I mean, but and I don't writing, remember writing it. And I'm writing, because all my colors are fading into gray, right? <laughs> well, no, I wrote my share of depressing songs. <laughs> uh, Call the Coast Guard was my... Oh, yeah. Oh, we have to talk about that, because one of the very first songs I wrote, Willa recorded with her great band, Vassay Long. Yeah, yeah, in, and in the basement. It was so of, many of our studios were in the basement. It was one of the great thrills of my life. Really? Having, writing a song and then hearing you sing it uh, and hearing your band do it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's like another connection that we have that's yeah. separate from Well, that was else. definitely after Silver Fox, though, because that's, yeah. yeah. I don't know. If, yes, yeah. it was after Silver Fox. Yeah, yeah. Or during. Right after. Right. Or even during. Yeah. yeah. So. And, you know, 
just tell the audience. So Silver Fox, so we got paid almost nothing, and we were playing in all these clubs, top 40 clubs, I guess we call them, because in those days there were no DJs yet, so we were just playing dance music. You know, the hustle came out. Disco started happening. I was also doing a lot of piano singles in the beginning. You were... I was not. Yeah, that's how I kind of got my chops. Yeah. I might have been... I don't know what I was doing besides Silver Foxes. I, oh, I was office temping. <laughs> I remember having a crush on this bar owner in Cedarhurst. I still remember his name. I don't... I mean, nothing happened. Sal, Sal Amato or something. Mm. And, like, the first songs were, like, Feel Like Making Love mm. by... Roberta Flack yes. and my Sharia Moore. You uh, know? <laughs> you're trying to give a message, a subliminal message to old Sal. Yeah, no, it's just like those are the ones that are, because I, oh, I was in a lounge band right after Silver Fox. Uh-huh. And we, like you're saying, you did like gigs with you doing, you know, dance music. We we right. were a four-piece lounge band called right. De- Destination. Destination. And we Good played at, um, do you know that place, the West Way on the Grand Central Service Road? It's like right where the Jackson Diner is on the right hand side. There's oh, like yeah. a tire company over there. <laughs> it's yeah. That's <laughs> perfect. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're doing like these four piece and we went to the James Kriegman, we had matching shirts right, and right. basically like those are the kind of songs that you did then, Pablo oh, yeah. Cruz and Sure. And actually Fleetwood Mac first became that yeah. was like the time they because yeah. we did Rhiannon. Yeah. Full circle. Brother. <laughs> so that's our origins. All right, I guess, God, are you busy next week? I'm busy right this moment. <laughs> I, know, <laughs> I don't I know. even have time to be talking to you. <laughs> but, yeah, I have a gig tomorrow, mm. Saturday, yeah. Sunday. Wow, well, look at you. Um, and that's a slow week. Yeah, I know. Well, but we're lucky to be working. We're happy to be working. When I did my library show last week, it made me so happy to make people happy. And one of them yelled out, oh, you're taking me down memory lane. And I said, good. Oi. Guess what time it is. What time is it, Marla? It's time for Credit of the Week. (laughs) So, um, it's my turn for Credit of the Week, and I did a song back, way back, way back, um, (laughs) when my um, now brother-in-law had a studio in bass, so I'd call Super Sound, and Mm -hmm. and then he was in Manhattan. I don't know if you knew... That he had a studio on 17th Street. Too. I did not know that. Yeah, it was, oh, it was right by Interface. Me. Yeah. Oh, Interface. It, that was him. So you knew. Oh, sure. See, and we're finding out things even today. <gasps> Unbelievable. <laughs> so I wrote this song with Lou Jimenez, who's married to Paul Atherton, famous sax um, artist, uh, Sh- Chanteuse. Yes. yes. And and Mark Falchek, extraordinary oh, yeah. keyboard player. So um, they did the tr- they produced the track. They played the parts and mm-hmm. we did it at super sound and uh right. i don't know we just nothing ever came of it it was around the time when my other record was out it never became anything but i'm pretty proud of it i recently posted it on soundcloud mm-hmm. and um it's called can't have it all brother i'll say <sighs> well it's <laughs> <laughs> well the specific thing it was talking about was it was like relationship sexuality and well you'll have to hear the song yeah, to know can't wait. to can't know wait. what that means can't wait i'm going to i'm going to snuggle up and uh, you know get some hot cocoa before i listen to this thing well one one of the lines was put your hands on my control so Ooh. you can figure out the rest oh yeah baby <laughs> okay let's hear it Show. 
To hear the full song, follow the link on the Gig Host Facebook page. The Gig Host Podcast is produced and recorded by Marla Joe and Willa Bassin, also known as the Gig Host. Thanks to Jeremy Goldberg for opening voiceover.